Trent Cotney and John Kenny are dedicated to helping the construction industry with legal business and safety challenges. Welcome to this week's episode of Law and Mortar. Go. Hey, this is Trent Cotney. I'd like to welcome everybody to another episode of Law and Mortar. As always, I've got John Kenny with me. John, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Good to see you again. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it was interesting. You've got some great stats. I want to lead off with that. We're going to focus on safety for the rest of the episode, but you've got some forecasting stats that I think are pretty important to share. So why don't you take it away? Yeah, I just got these hot off the press. Uh, uh, came in from the, you know, the normal surveys that they do out there in the construction world. But these are finishing where they think 23 is going to finish overall, which by now we're coming into September, I think pretty accurate. More importantly, where they think things are going to go into uh, into 24. So kind of give an overall, overall total construction in 23 was up 2% over 22. And in 22 was up 19% over the year before. So even though it's only 2% growth this year, that's still a lot of overall Good news is overall growth in 24 is projected to be another 6% higher than where it finishes this year. So where does that kind of round out, right? So I'll give you I'll give you some specifics in a minute, but kind of break it down by zone, right? Residential. Residential destruction for everybody out there working on the residential dropped 5% overall in 23 is the projection. But next year in 24, they expect it to be a hot market. They expect the feds to start lowering interest rates before mid-year. Uh, with inflation slowing down, they're looking at 11% growth in residential starts. So this is all new construction starts um, in, in uh, what's going on. That's, that's important. And in the commercial world, um, unfortunately, commercial overall was down 5% in 23 prior to 22, but 22 was a banner year. It's expected to decline again in spending about 6% in 24. So residential's hot, commercial, you know, maybe down in certain areas, maybe dead. Um, and then the institutional, again, that's the next hot market. And instead, I'll break that down a little bit, but that's going to be 6% growth this year over 23% prior and expected to be 6% running into 24. So that's going to be a hot market. And then non-building, which is, you know, your road construction, your utilities and all that, a, this year was a blowout at 17, 18%. Next year is expected to be a continuing 10% growth. So overall, uh, commercial a little off in that, and I'll give you a little roundup at the end. But let's talk about the healthcare and institutional. That is the strongest growth in institutional. That is, uh, you know, spending went up almost seven billion this year in new starts, and it's supposed to increase by another six or seven billion total in twenty four, which makes up for the largest, uh, second largest sector in institutional. Um, and in your educational sector is also hot, right? That's your schools and all the colleges and building. Continuing, went from 74 billion in 22 to 84 billion in 23, projected to almost 90 billion um, again in, in 24. So you can see if you're in these sectors where they go. Now here's where some of the weakness come. Office building construction, down this year, it's actually uh, dropped 3 billion in new office starts in 23. It's expected to Increase a little bit, but pretty much dead flat in 24. So office, which we know with the, you know a lot of empty space out there, not expected to grow much. Warehouse. So we all know, especially in the roofing section, there has been a lot of warehouse construction out there. Big box, 
it's hit its peak in 22, $60 billion worth of new starts. This year in 23 is down 11%, $53 billion. But here's the big one, and I've been kind of reading about this, that the heyday of the big boxes and the warehouses are coming to an end. New construction starts of warehousing buildings in 24 is going to drop by nearly 30%, almost $15, 18000000000 billion drop over it. So if you're in that big box warehouse market, you really want to start thinking now about maybe where you want to shift your business or your competition is going to be great. So I want to kind of give a review on that. Now, here is the biggest caveat, which we all know. They even put this in bold print. This is projected, provided the labor market does not get any worse with labor shortage. I don't know how much I want to put faith in the labor market not actually getting better rather than getting worse. So I think a little bit of caution there, what that means in my viewpoint, is what we've been talking about for a long time, is there is more backload, backlog of work that's going to come out of availability than probably most contractors in the U.S. have the labor force to get them competed, which I think is going to continue to open that door for the technology field that we've been talking about, Trent Robotics and all the other AIs that are going to start coming into construction. Something has to fill that because it's not going to continue to allow to stagger growth. So I wanted to throw those out there. So those are some numbers to kind of get you prepared to what we think in the market's going to be next year. Yeah, incredibly interesting. You know, some of that, John, I think is we're we're kind of due for an adjustment anyway. I mean, we're coming off that huge, you know, post-COVID, you know, PPP loan type incentive, free money, um, you know, handouts. Yeah. (laughs) And I think it I think it created a lot of demand. So an adjustment isn't out of out of sorts. Uh, it's it'll be interesting to see what the trends are past that. Right. If it continues to go down, then I think it's we've got some issues. But, um, you know, overall, um, yes, I, I'm seeing a little bit of softening in commercial um, residential seems to still be, you know, tracking pretty, pretty well. Uh, but I think for both construction and and roofing, it's going to continue to be fairly strong with some areas, like you said, you know, really just exploding. So great stats. Very interesting. Um, you know, I had the opportunity this week to talk to Associated Builders and Contractors about safety incentive plans. And I was on a, a great panel. Um, there were a handful of us and um you know, it's one of those things, almost every, you know, contractor that I've ever worked with or talked to um, wants to incentivize safety in some way, right? You can't just have discipline. If you just have the stick and you don't have a carrot, then it's pretty hard to, you know, create that culture of safety. So I was kind of tasked with having to, you know, really speak about what the legal issues are related to safety incentive plans. And the big issue, if I had to kind of summarize for our listeners is, is that if you're offering economic incentives, so if you have like a rate-based incentive plan where you're offering bonuses or any kind of cash or gift cards or whatever, if it creates a system where it it, um, prevents or it chills uh, an employee's desire to report safety problems, then you could potentially be looking at some problems with OSHA, right? So uh, I'll give you a great example. If you're going to get, you know, $150 bonus at the end of the month, if you've got no accidents, that creates a big incentive to not report accidents, right? So what does OSHA say with regard to how to deal with that? Well, there's a great 2018 letter out there 
uh, that they put out that says, look, you can do this kind of plans, but you really got to cut against it. You got to incentivize people to report, right? So yeah, you can provide cash bonuses for having safety, but you also got to incentivize them for reporting. You got to train them. You got to continue to train them on the fact that it's important to report and you got to have checks and balances. You got to constantly be looking at these plans and making sure that the employees feel like they can report, they do report, and it's not just about, you know, gimme, gimme, gimme. So um, very interesting. We had a two-hour conversation on that topic. Very interesting. A lot of great questions. And I'm curious to kind of see what, what you see on your end, John. You know, I, I got a question on um, on what you just went over. Which, yeah. What if you had a, you had it, you, you get the bonuses in there and all that. What if your people who report it were actually, I mean, honestly, they're almost considered seriously safety heroes. You, you're going to know when the report comes in if it's a legitimate issue. And let's face it, all companies out there really do want their own employees to self-police to get these issues done. There's nothing better than building that safety culture to have right. people not afraid to speak up. What if you, could you could you have some sort of a reward based upon that person that's not afraid yeah. to speak up? Yeah, you know, we talked about it and, you know, a lot of the, the people that attended, a lot of the contractors that attended, everybody has a different program, right? I mean, you can reward reporting. You can, um, you know, obviously you you want to kind of couple that with a whistleblower policy. You want to make sure that that the, you know, the, the statements are true and factual and this isn't, you know, something that's made up. But um, one of the owners put it best and he said, I would much rather pay my employees money out of pocket. And he was talking, you know, 40, 50,000 a year sure. than pay increased insurance premiums, you know, and or yeah, oh. or OSHA fines. He says, it's, it's worth it to me to, to um, really incentivize them to do it. And they said, this is one of the best things. One of the studies that came out said that merchandise is actually preferred over money. So if you've got like, you know, some Milwaukee tools or you've got some real high end safety gear or, you know, construction, you know, PPE, whatever it might be, um, you know, that is almost desired more and is cherished more than money because it's something that, you know, they get to show off and say, hey, I've got this. So um, those gifts, you know, from the surveys that that I saw were the, the ones that uh, employees favored most. So pretty interesting. Yeah, and I, I think from what I've been seeing, I hear I, I do agree with you there that most companies that are super successful with the safety policy is based more upon a non-cash reward. Like there may be, uh, like going back to that reporting issue, I know some companies are very successful when they reward for reporting, but at the same time, it's required you have your solution or who did you go to to report it. In other words, it's not one of those you could just throw it out there and say, uh, oh, this crew worked unsafe for an entire day. And, you know, and that, you you know, what did you do? So kind of tie it to that. And then you're correct about the safety culture. Um, so what I'm seeing out there, the most successful companies is you got to have it so your employees are not afraid to speak up. They absolutely have to feel totally secure that you are, are right from the top down safety culture. And then what happens is that was a great comment you brought up about the uh, owner saying about he'd rather give it to his employees and anybody else, even if you're rewarding more then maybe you're going to get a discount on your insurance premiums, don't discount what you could be paying to OSHA because that could be hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. But the important thing is, as you get more better with safety and working under safe, uh, effective conditions, your productivity and your efficiency goes way up and your quality. So what happens then? 
then you get the benefit of having that crew working safer, more effective, more, you know, more efficient and the quality levels higher. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, don't forget retraining. You've got to retrain in the event that, that, you know, you find a safety problem. Not only do you have to retrain, but you got to document that retraining. So let's say you you catch four guys on a roof without fall protection, bring them back in, retrain them, have them sign a sheet saying what they were trained on. You know, that and is I know evidence. So, when I was on the other side of the contracting, if I had to shut a job down for a day, I know that sounds insane to anyone out there saying, well, we can't lose money. I would shut a job down for whatever hours it took to retrain that crew and document it. Because mm-hmm. if there is a problem, that's going to be looked upon favorably that you as a contractor put safety above everything else. Yes, sir. You hit it. You know, last thing I want to touch on, John, before we get to the your favorite part of the uh, the episode is, um, you know, I, I put out an article here recently. I've been hearing that there's there's this trend moving away from hard ads and moving toward you know more structurally sound helmets um you know it's obviously there's a a cost component there uh but i think the the impetus for that is that you know the the helmets uh with their material provides a little bit more protection than a typical hard hat um you know are you seeing anything like that i i I don't know of any contractor that I can name off the top. Occasionally, you know, when I'm out, I'll see, you know, a superintendent that has a helmet rather than a hard hat. But the the crew, I don't, they're, they're wearing hard hats most of the time. Yeah, I agree. I have not seen that trend take on, but I can see it has valid points. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it has more than just the head protection. I think eventually, you know, what we're getting with the technology, if you had a hot area wearing a helmet, no one's going to want to wear it. But if that same helmet had a cooling, you know, cooling uh, yeah. system built into it, then it's got an advantage that somebody would probably wear it. It's going to have to be more than just a helmet, or I could tell you, construction and roofers, roofers, construction people—they're not going to want to do it. I tell you, if there was a helmet with a cooling element in it, I'd be wearing it right now, man. It's hot. <laughs> Need it in the house down here in Florida right now. <laughs> right. right. All right. So it's it's uh, that time, John. Um, got a question. Keeping to the the safety theme. This is from Cheryl. Cheryl's question is, uh, what toolbox talks do you recommend? It looks like Cheryl works for a roofing company. Um, you know, on my end, you know, the big ones are fall protection, obviously, anything that's related to that, how to tie up a ladder, proper PPE, um, hydration breaks. You know, to me, those those are the big ones you cycle through. There's a ton of different ones that you can do everything from silica to, you know, um, y- you name it, you know, but. John, what do you think on your end? What are some some off the top? Yeah, of your I mean, you got your ladder safety, your PPE, your fall protection. Those are some you got to revolve and you know revolve over constantly. Um, but don't overlook the job specific ones. If you're on a job, um, you know that has something on it that's different than most of your jobs, you really want to touch on that during that job, right? If it's a modified job that you're torching, you want to make sure you're doing torch safety. I mean, torch safety doesn't make as much sense for a toolbox talk. If you're not using a torch on that entire job, use something. Do you got to do the big ones like you just said? That's mandatory. You got to do them over and over and over. You got. Don't forget your hand tools, your electrical tools. You know, electrical safety, a high wire. Um, you know, and even as crazy as it is, you want to trips and falls and hazards should be done on a constant basis. So yep. that, that would be my recommendation. Don't waste your time doing something that doesn't pertain at all to the job you're on. Skylights. 
you know, I've unfortunately, you know, I've defended a handful of contractors this year with fatalities or injuries related to falls through skylights. So, yep. you know, make sure that you go over the safety protocols for that, how to, you know, flag and board them off. Um, but yeah, all those are great. And, you know, keep it fresh, you know, go through the the ones that you have to, but uh, just keep cycling through them. And, you know, it didn't matter whether you do it once a week or every other week or every month or whatever it is. Some but, habits. You know, it becomes drilled into your crews and then they, they know what to do. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So, John, come to the end of another episode. Uh, as always, uh, enjoyed talking to you today. I encourage everybody to tune in next week for another uh, episode of Law & Mortar. If you want to get a hold of me, you can reach me. I'm Trent Cotney at trent.cotney at arlaw.com. John, how can I get you? Jay Kenny at cotneyconsulting.com. Great. Thank you, guys. We'll see you soon. Take care now.